Okay, cuz we are recording our first podcast together. It's really happening. It's really happening. Yeah. Have you been on a podcast before? No. First time? First timer. Okay. Welcome. So, so we introduce ourselves. So I'll go and let you start. What's your name? My name is Will. And uh, first time caller, long time listener. Oh, man. Thanks for listening. Yeah. yeah. No uh, so my name is Jared. Uh, I was the host of Hall Talk for a long time, and uh, I haven't really been doing that very actively. And I thought uh, we had talked about writing a book or doing something together, and I thought it would be way more fun for us to just record some of our conversations and uh, less stressful than writing and editing for us. That's true, especially since I always got about C's in English class. C's? Yeah. I got pretty good pretty good grades in English class, but... Uh, I think those days are long gone <laughs> long gone well maybe we need to figure out how to get an ai involved and then we can probably write that book that we've been that'd be way easier that way right yeah um and so what we wanted to do is we want to start a conversation um around our backstory going way back to our grandfather uh and then seeing where the conversation goes from there but maybe uh you could share a little bit about like where you're from what do you do family that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So I'm from the middle of Minnesota. Um, I have, as far as a personal life goes, wife, four kids, grew our family through adoption. So we went from having a family of three to a family of six overnight. Um, that's wild. That's a, uh, a practice in obscurity maybe because mm. uh, we just have you know i always say when you have a frog and you put it in water and you gradually turn the water up uh the frog doesn't know it's boiling alive but if you throw it into boiling water it knows it i know i'm boiling alive so you the wrong way to cook a frog that's true that's true as far as a professional life i work for a giant bank doing uh story producing on executive level storytelling so a lot of customer and employee advocacy pieces. Can you give a shout out to the company or does it have to remain private based on non-compete clauses? Well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to necessarily make it big on this first episode. Uh, but uh, to start somewhere, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I work for Capital One. Yeah. So how long have you been with Capital One? Just south of 10 years. So started in a contact center when I was in college. If you would have told me I was going to work the next, you know, decade at a giant bank, I would have told you you're crazy. I was going to save the world, the world doing environmental work or something like that. But here I said. So uh, unpack your title because it sounds like a unique role for a bank, like not something people would associate with. I work at a bank and I tell stories. Sure, sure. So there's been a giant transition within large corporations of kind of journalistic attempts at. PR and external marketing. Okay. Um, so my role is unique because I work in both the internal and the external space. But what it comes down to is, especially for financial institutions, historically speaking, they their marketing is very plug and play. A lot of times it has to do with hiring actors or just, you know, the 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 Hallmark movie car commercial style marketing where the transition is taking place into more of a actual customer experience um, and using real customers and employees to tell those stories. So as you know, and financial institutions are very sticky 
So they spend a lot of time. Or if you have a, if you, your banking relationship is really just built primarily off of where your parents banked. And so as that market gets a little bit more unique, um, we, especially from a Capital One perspective, have found that it's much more relatable to use customers and people that look like them, people that have actually experienced the products, have benefited from them. So uh, that's where this position came from. It is a brand new position at Capital One. Um, it's something that we haven't done historically speaking. So I'm still trying to figure it out. And, you know, I think it's ambiguous on purpose. So how long have you been in that role and how did you get started in that role since you started kind of at the bottom and worked your way up? Well, I think from how long I've been in the role, I've been working on in this capacity side of desk for about the last three and a half years. Okay. Um, built on after, I guess, kind of cultivating that into a position that, or finding a finding a need, filling a need. Um, right. I've just finally, that role has matured into a full position within the last three months. Amazing. So fairly fresh. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, what do you feel like is the opportunity in telling stories from actual people mm -hmm. than from a polished actor script-based model? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's... The customer can tell. Mm. So when a customer is watching a, whether it's a YouTube video, a social story, TikTok, something like that, or YouTube or um, Instagram, you know if it's highly produced and it's actor-driven, right? And so... Like, you know whether or not yeah. Timmy's yeah. dad is banking at Capital One right, or not. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, so it's just the... It's a, simply put, it's a it's a litmus test in true user experience, right? And so that's why using real customers and real using real employees. There's also a level of conviction that can be told within a customer and an employee and somebody that's actually sat down physically used the widget mm. or whatever it might be yeah. that does not translate into any type of. Scripting acting, or acting, scripting. yeah. Yep, absolutely. So is there a playbook you're following of some other uh, organizations or entities that ha have already turned this corner? Or are you guys kind of jump and we'll build the plane on the way down? Yeah, I think we're definitely building it as we're flying it. Yeah. Um, I think there are some other really good, outside of the financial the fintech or the financial services space, of organizations that have done it pretty well from a journalistic perspective. Um, a lot of them though have used it more in a space of blogging. Microsoft has a really, really well done um, corporate journalism program. Um, oh, okay. Uh, GE has one as well. Uh, yeah. So there are some organizations that do it. And truthfully speaking, the, the advantage of it is not only that you are bringing real customers and employees and that, type of journalistic veneer that yeah. gives off a much better um, behind the scenes or at least just in a, a much better, I don't know, lens of looking at it or viewing it from telling yeah. the story, I suppose. Um, but it also is, it also can help with your, opportunities that an organization has too. 
I know Microsoft has used in some of their own personal journalistic publications to shed lights on some of the things that they've screwed up on. Um, oh, so coming from them takes a little bit, I think, of the – it absorbs a little bit of the shade that you might get as an organization for messing up. Um, but it also speaks – it's also necessary to really be valid within that journalistic space. Because basically it allows you to build a platform and get your message out without your message being surrendered to another entity mm-hmm. and how they decide to disclose that information. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And then it has to save on some overhead, right? Like if you're not paying for like actors and directors and things like that to a certain degree. I mean, obviously like you're a full-time employee and you probably still have to like outsource some things. Mm-hmm. But in comparison to like the production of creating something that's fake, I imagine creating something that's real has to be a little bit more affordable. Yeah, not having to do with actors and guilds, actors, guilds, and things yeah, like that definitely, yeah. I think, changes the dynamic. So then let me ask you a question. As mm-hmm. you, um, And I don't know a lot about the history of marketing. To be honest, most of my history of marketing is, is pretty much informed by the TV show Mad Men. Um, well, that's all you need. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All you need is Don Draper's hot take. Um, but when you think about like the start of marketing, particularly in the United States, uh, and 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 trying to go towards that very polished actor actress, mm-hmm. trying to make things look very shiny, uh, versus kind of where we're at today of more realistic more down to earth, a little bit grittier, known commodity in terms of like faces and customers. What do you think is the shift, culturally speaking, that causes what's working now in your space um, versus what worked for a long time and no longer does? If you really want to boil it down, I think the internet, especially okay. social media, sure. right? With a, a bit, with platforming people to make their own YouTube videos mm. um, or to you know, put their hot takes on Twitter or this is the real, you know, this is the real me on Facebook or Instagram. I think that that's definitely trained us as consumers to be able to decode what is polished, veneered, and the very highly produced and dramatized version of marketing. Right. And we tend, I mean, for myself at least, I tend to trust Yelp reviews, Google reviews. Yeah over and above what they can tell me in a commercial, right? Yeah. Because they they clearly have a vested interest in getting me in there. Uh, The person leaving the review usually doesn't have anything other than the fact that they're just sharing their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that makes sense. I can see where internet and this feedback loop that we've created there would would change that as well. Do you think there will ever be a shift back towards the high production value stuff? I mean... Obviously, there's still a value in like the way people are doing some things. Like Super mm-hmm. Bowl can still put out like some phenomenal commercials, but they just cost millions of dollars now to do. Yeah, I don't think that the industry is changing. I don't. Th- uh, yes, and how's that sound? Mm-hmm. Because I think you'll just what we'll do is the industry will be able to. There, there's a space for both of those things. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, to your point of Yelp reviews, I recently heard that TikTok actually has more searches 
for restaurants than Google does. What? Yeah, and no. so that's because because Gen Gen Z, Z and- is using it as to get the 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 real where should I be right? Um, so they're going to TikTok instead of Google. TikTok. Fascinating. Exactly. Okay. So they're doing more searching in that way, and what you're doing is you're hearing from firsthand users. Um, within TikTok right now, there's not any paid advertisement or review. Um, like being able to boast your own reviews or any type of things like that, that we've, right. that businesses have started to do or have become um, a little bit more savvy exactly, about yeah, how exactly. to, that makes sense. Yeah. SEO, all right. of those things. Um, so Gen Z is those who have just graduated from college, those in college and those about to go into college. That's mm-hmm. kind of the age range there. Do you know what they're calling those in like middle of high school and younger now? Generation Alpha. Alpha? Yeah, Generation Alpha. Interesting. Yeah, so so there, that generation has been named. Very little writing about it. Uh, what's interesting is that most of the time when a new generation is named and identified, it's almost always done first by marketing. Hmm. And because marketers are always trying to figure out, okay, where is this a generational change? Mm-hmm. So that way our messaging can change based on their values, right? So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Uh, so like... You know, 10 years ago, Gen Z was named. Now there's lots of writing on Gen Z, but initially it was all from a marketing perspective. That was the only writing you could find. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even from a marketing perspective, for us, we speak often about um, upside or upcycled millennials, um, which what that means is just people that are in the prime income earning. Right. Because that's where millennials are now within the career curve. Yeah, because most people, I love this, because most people think generational gaps are very, very large time periods, you know, and they're really not that large. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's not uncommon for me to still hear people refer to college students as millennials. Oh, (laughs) yeah. When we're we're now approaching the end of Gen Z's reign in college. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the millennials are actually the 30-somethings now, you know, and... uh, and, and approaching 40s fast, uh, depending on when, if you started in 80 or 84. And then, uh, you know, Gen X is now our uh, mid to late 40s. Even a couple of Gen X are starting to peak into the 50s, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then you have your boomers who are who are retiring more and more. Um, and then we're, you know, our 90s and our, our 80-year-olds are still our elders, you know, that silent generation some people call it. I don't think that's a name for him but uh prefer to refer to him as the elders but personally uh so just a little <laughs> little uh information on generational uh age breaks for anybody who's interested okay so uh that's a little bit about your work and what you're doing there uh your wife melissa how did you guys meet uh, the first week of freshman year of college yeah. first week yeah how, how? like how did that oh. she saw me from across the college cafeteria and it's like that's the man i'm gonna marry wow no like shot across the room like a dart no no actually i was friend zoned for probably the first couple of months only months Um, that's only months you know i've i clawed my way out here's a shout out to anybody that's uh, trying (laughs) to get outside of the friend zone it could happen let me give you some hope yeah that's good um 
So you guys meet the first week just because you're in the same orientation together, or yeah? Well, I had a one of she she being the uh, you know dean's list graduate that she was had taken summer classes proactively before freshman year of college. Wow! Um, and so okay, and also somebody that I went to high school was also. Uh, overachieving in that space. And so they had a class together. And then when I was, you know, first week of freshman year, uh, went into the cafeteria, was gravitated towards the only face that I recognized who happened to be somebody that I went to high school with. Who was that other overachiever? Yes, absolutely. Who was there meeting your friend, Melissa. And, you know, long story short, the rest is history. So you're just basically going like, okay, I know that one person. And because you recognize that one person, Mm -hmm this overachiever then introduces you to this other overachiever who yeah. is now your wife. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There's reachers and settlers in a relationship and I'll let you decide who's, yeah. who's who. Yeah. I know Melissa is definitely the settler. It's okay. All right. Uh, and uh, how did you get out of the friend zone? Cause I'm sure for anybody who wants to get out of friend zone, they would love a few tips from someone who's done it successfully. Well, not to, know, throw your own relationship into this conversation. But, uh, I mean, you could definitely give some pointers on that too. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I was never friend zoned though. You don't think so? I was never friend zoned. Well, for now, me. Now I will, I will agree that my wife is also the settler and I was the reacher. I don't disagree with that at all, but never friend zoned. Never friend zoned? Never friend zoned. I've been friend zoned, pushed through friend zone. Fair. And it didn't, it didn't last well. So you've, yeah. you've, successfully pushed through friends up. Clawed my way out. Yeah. To marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's no small achievement. Well, that's, you're right. Now that we're really, you know, coming through this though. Yeah. I mean, maybe the friend zone is a little premature. Okay. Uh, Like too strong. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, for me, um, it was her that when, when we first, we, we went, I, I ended up talking her into going, to a movie with me. Okay. And she thought we were going just as friends. What movie? Uh, it was The Social Network. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's what you picked yep, for? Uh, that was it. That was the first date. Man. Okay. And so, Big game. Yeah. Let's go. Well, I mean. On point. I'm. No, it's good. Yeah. Central Minnesota. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a giant nerd. So. Yeah, you're interested you in it. Sign yeah. me up. Um, you would have went to go see the movie either way. Absolutely. If it right. was by myself or with. Yeah, no. with her or with friends. Yeah, exactly. And see that part, I really respect because I think a lot of the people who make the mistake, who are trying to get out of the friend zone, and their and their pitching of woo is that they tend to make themselves something that they're not, mm. and that's not sustainable, right? No. Like you can be like, oh, I'm interested in everything that you're interested in, and let's go see this movie because you want to go see that movie. But the reality is, is that you can only fake it for so long. Right. And for you, you're like, let's go see a movie. And this is what I want to go see. Yeah. And she went to go see it with you. She did. Yeah. yeah. It was probably a rom-com or the social network. Because, again, Central Minnesota, I'm pretty Just sure the theater had two movies. Two options. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, I went for the – Was old, that Litchfield or Kimball or – It was in St. Cloud. But oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah got so, it. it was – That's where the university was at. And so, with um, – with the movie, I went for the old fashioned stretch move. And Did you really? Yeah, shoot your shot. Yeah. And so I just went for it. And weren't you concerned about like body odor or like sweaty armpits or anything like that? Or, bro, I was a 18 year old boy. 
so the movie theater none of that the girl. So, yeah none of that crossed my mind i was nice. probably so anxious that i was perspirating didn't matter it though didn't matter not gonna slow you matter. down i already smelled like axe body spray oh. to begin with because i was going on what i thought was a date <laughs> so there was no body you lathered up already yeah, yeah absolutely um and i had so i made the i went for the move and shot the shot and it landed Landed awkwardly. I think even after that, she was like, I don't know. She's just a sweet girl from central Minnesota. So just being nice. Yeah. Um, like he, then, he yeah. put his arm around me. Yeah. That's fine. Absolutely. Um, but after that, it was a short period after that. I got very like, well, I got a, I got very sick. I'm sure she would have validated as a man cold. And as a kind gesture, she brought me like a blanket from Walmart and a can of soup and some seven up and you know nurtured you yeah and wow. i was like but and that's before you were officially dating right yeah huh. yeah and so that was like my her returning the favor that i assumed again some type of positive intent from her uh after well she spent money on you yeah i mean absolutely. that's great and then she still swears to this day though that, that was just another friendly act and I still say there's no way if it was one of my roommates, you are not stopping by with those Ritz crackers. Yes. Yeah. However, and and you had roommates and none of them were getting you a blanket or cans of soup. And they were definitely your friends. Not great friends, but still friends. Right, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. Degrees of friendship. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm gonna say that uh your friend zone was not uh much of a friend zone. If you were able to take her to a movie, put your arm around her and then she takes care of you when you're sick. Like, I'm not sure you were ever actually in the friend zone. Yeah. Now that we're talking through this, thank you for this session. Um, it's really no problem. Making me That's re-identify yeah. my yeah. 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 So, so the whole podcast is going to be now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just the glass shattering moments of your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're just going <laughs> to reframe with new perspective every moment of your life. Yeah. yeah. Like, huh? Maybe I wasn't in the friend zone. I got to look at my yeah. life completely yeah. differently now. I got to tell this story in a new way. Yeah. So no, this is not like Rocky One. This is more like Rocky Two after he'd already been a great boxer. Can I be honest? Yeah. I've never watched a single Rocky movie start to finish. No. I've seen parts of all of them, but never sat down and was like, let's go. Do you feel like Rocky is one of those cultural movies though that you don't have to watch all of and you still can be incredibly relevant in any conversation that comes up? Typically I would just fake it, what yeah. you just said. I'd be like, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I think for like the sake of authenticity in this conversation i felt like i needed to confess that i've never never gotten all the way in i remember i remember the moment again because like you said everybody yeah. talks about it everybody yep. knows about it figuring out that the girl is adrian <laughs> blew my mind do you feel like that blew my mind man the same because my my no, nephew my nephew yeah. my nephew's dad's name is adrian, adrian yeah. yeah so like not a girl's name to me. That's fine. Not, not to, I mean, there's lots of names, obviously, that can go either way for, you know, sexes. But growing up, I thought Adrian was the trainer. That's what I thought. Adrian. Like, Adrian. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. it was the trainer. Yeah. That's funny. And then I figured out, like, no. No, no, it's and the I girl. Like, oh. I feel like that's a very similar to in Star Wars. There never is the line, isn't it Luke, I'm your father? Uh, is it that one or uh, Luke? 
Use the force. Okay. Uh, I, but I, I like think both of them, yeah, there's these paraphrases yeah, uh, from the movies that are more common than the actual right. phrases from the movie. Yeah. Or in uh, We Are the Champions of the World. Right. No. Doesn't exist within yeah. the lyrics. Uh, not there. Yeah. Right. Is there a different version in the Mighty Ducks movie in the second <sighs> one oh. when they're playing it during the credits scene where that phrase of, is I, inserted? Are we sure? It might be that just the team sings it. But I thought this team starts singing it, and then as it rolls through the credits, it like transitions to the actual song. Oh, I don't know. I have Disney Plus. We can figure this Seems out. Seems like some market research we need to take yeah, care of. That's right. Okay, so we got Star Wars. We got, uh, and then we, and then we got Mighty Ducks too. Okay, great. All right. All right. Um, all right. So we're at twenty-five minutes for our first episode. I was thinking we'd run this for like thirty minutes, okay. and so maybe in the next episode. Uh, we get a little bit into the backstory of our grandfather, uh, Bill Hall, who both of us are named after, uh, but neither one of us ever had the chance to meet. And yet I find that there's some interesting similarities mm-hmm. that we share with him and some of the other grandchildren do as well. And uh, you've been doing some research And so I'd love to hear some of the things that you've learned in your research and then see where that takes our conversations from here. Um, One last thing. So you mentioned that you grew your family through fostering that eventually led to adopting, um, which is a really hard, challenging thing to do, but also something that's a great need, not only in our country, but in the world. What would you say was the the biggest hurdle you had to get over mentally to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the step of fostering or the step of adoption. Well, for my wife and I, the plan to adopt was always, not always, but um, was something that quickly we decided was right for our family. Um, and from the decision of starting to do foster care. The intent was always to foster to adopt. Mm. Um, and the reason we decided to do that instead of adopting internationally yeah. um, or even through some of the other programs that domestically we have right. was because there's a huge need for kids that are a part of the foster care system to get adopted. Um, what ironically I think occurred too was we originally had set up these really strong parameters. We have a biological daughter that at the time was three. We wanted to adopt one more child. We wanted to be a family of four. Uh, we wanted the child to be younger than our biological daughter because we thought sure. that that was you know a birthright to a certain degree um, and something that she you know to her benefit. To. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean when I've encouraged people who are considering adoption, I always consider that to be part of the factors they should think through at least in what they do. Right, absolutely. So for us, it ended up being uh, not the case because we now have a, uh, our oldest daughter is, do the quick math, is is four years older than our biological daughter. Right. And then we've got two She's got two younger brothers um, who are five and four now, the same age as Lila. So yeah. there's only a – which is Lila's our biological daughter. And so she they're only three months apart. So 
for you guys deciding to adopt, like, what helped you go like this is the right thing? Because I think a lot of people can look at it mm-hmm. and go like that's a virtuous thing to do, and I appreciate people who do it. But for a lot of people, it's a hard step to actually take. And so, like, what was the switch for you guys that was like, yeah, this is what we're gonna do? Yeah, I think one. Well, we even to at dinner when we were talking about the food thing, right? If I there's a difference between. Um, for me, we were talking when I that I'm vegetarian or I'm plant based, but if somebody serves me meat, I'm gonna eat the meat. Like they did yeah, tonight. Yeah, 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 exactly. So ordered, you know, the the wrap and no chicken comes with chicken, and the food waste is worse. Because right. environmentally speaking and even ethically, like that animal's already died, I'm already it's vi- like it's there, I need to consume that. Uh, okay. Um, so from your perspective, it's like it could be really impossibly difficult to adopt. But to not adopt is such a bigger problem. Right. That whatever problems are associated with adoption yeah. cannot outweigh not adopting. Correct. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cause I think for a while they're honest, there's a there's a giant need for it. Yeah. Um and again, I think it, you know, not to get too much into the political side of things, but I even think for people that are pro life, well, that's if you're pro life then there does need to be some level of obligation or the ability if you're able to, yeah, to do yeah. that, especially yeah. if you're willing to have more children. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's one of the straw man arguments people have against people who are pro-life. Mm-hmm. And I think statistically, if you look at it, like people who are pro-life actually have a like a drastically higher adoption rate than than people who are not. Um, and uh, But it's one of those things where people are like, uh, they tend to skew the conversation mm-hmm. one way as like, but again, I think it's a, a straw man. A straw man is a, um, a term you use in logic debate um, to portray characteristics of an argument that's not true that you're trying to, to tear down mm-hmm. in order to tear down the, the person that you're in the debate with. And so I think that's a, a classic straw man is that people who are pro-life don't adopt. So <clears throat> I think it's, Quite the opposite, actually. Statistically speaking, if someone wants to dig into it and call me out, that's fine. But I've so, but yeah, absolutely. And for us, that was the with us wanting to grow our family and knowing that that's what we wanted. Yeah, uh, looking at taking care of kids that were also in the same community that we were in was right. also really important to us um, because there is such a high need for that. There is yeah. even a. If you go online, especially, you can look at all of the kids in various states that are available to be adopted and how long they've been in the system. Right. And there's a lot of statistics also speaking to the fact that kids that are in those systems, the older that they are, the longer that perpetuates, that you're not changing the trajectory. Right, the chance of getting adopted, yeah. Absolutely. And even their socioeconomics or what their what type of trajectory they're on within their life and their career um, of being somebody that's in the system is entirely different than somebody that's been adopted from the system because right. family dynamic plays such an important role in the success of a human being. Oh, so you'd say that the statistics bear out that nurture can override nature in that respect? Uh, for f- yes and no. I think, it de- I think that's a, that's a, 
that's a tricky situation because when you get into things that are genetic, um, right. yeah. it's totally different. Yeah. Uh, especially if you get into like substance abuse things um, yes. and addiction, um, that's a place that much more often than not is nature. Right, where the, most of the time they end up back into that that disposition. Correct. Yeah. Okay, this is a conversation I want to revisit Yeah. Uh, in terms of that because that's, uh, that's very interesting, and I think it will be very relevant to uh, us discussing Grandpa Bill, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks, guys. I uh, enjoyed doing this first episode with you, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like it, hit subscribe, please share, and um, we uh, – we would gladly accept uh, any charity from you as we uh, try to make it through our, our daily life as amateur content creators. <laughs> so bye for now.